Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We are dealing with a series, and I still are on the series of fasting. It's essentially dealing with fasting as a subject. But like I said last time, God, by His wisdom, is using this topic to address a whole lot of other issues that we need to take cognizance of. Amen? And uh, last week we concluded Ezra's fast. And I don't have any notes for you, so you're going to have to take notes. I'm still developing this particular sort of emphasis on fasting that we're going to deal with tonight. It concerns the fast of the Apostle Paul at his conversion. Later on, we will look also, if time permits tonight, at the fast of Cornelius in the very next chapter. And some of the issues attendant with his fasting before the Lord. And um, next week, I hope to deal with Acts 27. This is your homework for this week. Bathe yourself in Acts 27 and in Acts 10. Get to grips particularly with Acts 27 because it's a highly detailed chapter concerning the shipwreck that Paul suffered. Also with a host of other prisoners, 276 of them to be exact. And how that in a culture of fasting under apostolic oversight, the purposes of God were preserved in a people. Amen? But tonight, I'm going to speak prophetically. Um, And please hear and discern with the eyes um, of the Spirit. Hear with your spiritual ears. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Now before we get there, I mean Paul, who was Saul initially, he persecuted the church before he met the Lord. Not so? He was the greatest persecutor of the people of the way. And so, in doing that, he thought he was being faithful to God in persecuting Christians. In his own testimony, he said he did that zealously, but yet he did it in ignorance. You can do something with great zeal and fervor, but you can do it inaccurately. The sense of fervor attendant with any activity does not indicate its accuracy. Not because you are zealous does it mean that you are accurate. Very often the word of the Lord encourages us to attach wisdom to our zeal. Not so? Wisdom to our zeal. How much more powerful it would then be if you couple fervor with accuracy. Amen? Fervor with accuracy. The Apostle Paul was ardent, was devoted in his mission to kill Christians. Um, And he thought that he was, in his own words, in the King James language, he said, I was zealous. Everyone say zealous. He says, I was zealous after the traditions of my forefathers. Right? And so, he did not think that he was fighting the Lord. He thought he was doing God a favor 
by snuffing out this new development of people of the way, as they were called. And later, in, on in the book of Acts, they would be called Christians. Okay? And he thought he was doing God a favor. Very often, you could be fighting the thing that God is trying to build. And you think that you are fine in your pursuit or your, 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 your posture in that. And you could be fighting the very purposes of God. It is very, very important, church, all of us, that whatever attitude or behavior we adopt, that we do not kick against the pricks. Right? That we do not fight that which God is trying to develop. And I want to encourage you. You will see how that in this man's fast, God brings realignment to his zeal. Right? God brings um, reordering to the desire within the man. He who would be the most ardent, zealous persecutor of the church is about to become one of the greatest proponents of the church. He was once a persecutor. Now God's going to raise him up as an apostle. The thing that he sought to snuff out, now he's going to be prepared to give his life for. Right? As Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it, I believe the apostle Paul had such a love for the people of God. Once the light came on, and once he had revelation of what he exactly he was dealing with, there was nothing that he would not do to fulfill the ministry that God gave him in reference to the church to build it up so that it would be the body of Christ in the image of Christ being in glory to God. And I sense for my own life, on the plane I was reading this over and over again in my mind, this chapter. And the Lord was saying to me, Randolph, you are zealous. You have great fervor, great seriousness, great zeal. And because of the fervor, I'm going to now begin to fine-tune, fine-tune your building efforts. I want to encourage you, God never ever used a lazy man. Eh? Did God use anybody that was idle in the scriptures? Somebody twiddling their thumbs, doing nothing, passing away time. If you examine all the major personalities that God used in the scripture, everybody that he used was busy with something. Right? Everybody was employed, and all that the Lord would then do, he would come to the individual to redirect all that energy to the purposes of the Lord. What was Gideon doing, for example? He was trading wheat in a wine press. Remember? The man was busy. And God simply came to him and redirected that zeal, that faithfulness, that diligence, and he redirected it to another order. Why would God use Moses as deliverer? Because part of the reason, apart from the predetermined plan of God, you see when Moses saw an Egyptian flog an Israelite, something arose up within the man. And instinctually, his desire was to defend the Jew. God took that, yes, and deferred it for another 40 years. He had to leave Egypt because of that act, because he did it in his own flesh. But my point is, nevertheless, God saw within the man a desire to, to deliver his 
people. And all God did, He took it and He amplified it to the level that God had desired for Him to function in the same disposition. Amen? You see, many of us want to do great things for God. But we are not willing to prove faithful in the little. Sam Solon said this, You will do with much exactly what you have done with the little. You will do with much exactly what you have done with, with a little. And so even in our smallness, for me, even in my preparation, I will prepare as though I'm teaching tens of thousands in one city. Right? The numbers are not the thing for me. My faithfulness and diligence to the Lord is. If you prove yourself faithful with little, God will promote you to deal with much. Not so? People often tell me, for example, in tithing, we're waiting for our breakthrough before we tithe. My response is, you will do exactly with, the, with much, exactly what you're doing with. A little faithful in little, rulership over, over much. While you have a little, entrench principles of obedience and faithfulness to your life. And when you prove diligence and faithfulness in little, God will elevate you to be a ruler over, over much. It's a principle by which God functions that He will never, ever change. So I want to encourage you. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus as he was known before he became Paul the Apostle, is this persecutor of the church of the living God. And in this chapter is a record of his conversion to know the Lord. He thought he knew the Lord. In fact, he was a Pharisee, Paul was. In his testimony, he says, I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. His testimony is, as touching the law, I was blameless. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What tribe was he from? He says, of the stock of the tribe of Benjamin. Remember Benjamin, the lad that was imprisoned till the, till the sons returned? What does Ben mean? Son, what does Jamin mean? Right hand. Benjamin or Benjamin means son of the, the right hand. Paul comes from a tribe that has right-hand authority, that knows sonship, right? But yet somehow, the religious or religiosity of his day, the Pharisaic order, had, had detoured him away from knowing Christ personally. And he saw the development of the New Testament church as a threat to everything Pharisees sought to upheld under the Mosaic Covenant. And so he sees this. This is the enemy. This is undermining everything I know in my tradition under Mosaic law. So I will kill it. I will snuff it. I will snuff it out. He was acting with zeal but without knowledge. And you know, zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Right? And you know, I really want to encourage you. Everyone say fervor. I want to excite, ignite, incite a zeal and a fervor in the saints. Some vavavum, some vuma, to use colloquial terms. 
some seriousness, some ardency, some determination. You know, you get people I used to hate as a teacher. In my, when I sit at my desk and the learners would come in for change of period. Some learners work like this. I don't know you know them, Quint. Like this here. Don't lift the leg up. Mopping the floor with the legs as they come. You know? And I would, I would say, no, lift, walk properly. Lift up your legs. You know? Have some determination about you. You come in so casual, so lazy, like, ah, how's it, sir? You know? Well, you know what's up for today? You know? That kind of laissez-faire, carte blanche attitude. I want to encourage you. This is a season for great seriousness in God. And I want to encourage you. You know, Isaiah 60 says, Awake! Rise up! Awake from your sleep! For now it's time to seek the Lord. I rise, shine for your light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon, upon you. If ever, I want to cajole you tonight, if ever God is going to use somebody, it's going to have to be people that are seriously minded about his business. God will never, ever entrust global or serious aspects about his will to someone that's going to be flippant about it. Flippant about it. Justin remarked with me on the weekend, Randolph, you need to rest. Because I was up very early. We slept at his home, in his lounge. I'm busy studying. And he says, hey, you're working too hard. You're making me feel bad. And I said to him, I cannot help it. It's the way I'm wired. Um, I cannot but be this way. And I won't apologize for it. I am what I am by the grace of God. He has made me this way. And I want to encourage every single one of us. Diligence in the Spirit. Paul had this. And let me just say what the Lord said to me. Randolph, part of your objective in fasting has now got to be fine-tuning my purpose and my mandate that I have for you. It's going to come to a sharpened focus in your fasting simply because you have a zeal for the things spiritual. You have a zeal for the king, things of the kingdom. You have a zeal for my mandates in the year. We are almost at the end of March now. What's the day today? 29th of March. Three months of this year have come and gone. One quarter of the year is up. But sad, many Christians haven't moved an inch in terms of their progress and development in, in, in spiritual ways or accomplishment of God's purposes. I want to encourage you. The lag, or rather the drag, is over. Tell your neighbor the drag is over. Faithfulness. Diligence. Amen? We have to do more in the least amount of time. We have to do much more in the least amount of time. Amen? God's purposes run fast and they run furiously. I say that seriously. Uh, Thamo, a few years, two or three years ago, prophesied this. The apostolic season is about to go visible and, and viral. That will have attendant with it an increased rate or acceleration at which we have to operate 
and manage and steward kingdom things. Not so? And I want to encourage you, if you do this in the flesh, you might struggle. Tap into grace. Everyone say grace. Tap into grace that will give you a spring in your step. Right? Cause you to do more in one week than you ever had before. Okay? And I really want to encourage you. Things have been developing, developing. There are developments in, in Arare right now, in Mutare. And we were communicating with the brothers, even while we were in Port Alfred. And, and there are calls made for us to steward certain aspects of God's mandate in those nations. And if we are lazy, if we, are, if we only live in the culture of self-preservation, me, myself, and I, if we are not willing to take risks, if we don't say, God, you're my time, my zeal, my efforts, all of my abilities, I put at your disposal, Father, use me for your purpose. We have to come to that place. Whenever I think of Paul, previously Saul, Saul was such a worker. He says, I strive. Colossians 1, 27, 28, I think. He says, I strive. Everyone say, I strive. He says, I strive working according to the power that worketh in me. He says, to this end, I strive. He says, I preach, I teach, I warn every man that I might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I strive according to the working of His mighty power that worketh mightily in me. You know, I just, I don't know what the Lord is doing tonight. Listen carefully to me. I feel very strongly if you opt, if you, rather not opt, if you, if you enlist, if you enlist as a candidate and you say, God, here's my life, here's my time. I want to present the entirety of all I am to a level of greater fervency so that you can put in my hands aspects of your purpose to manage and to steward. Let me say that God will give you a grace to do far more than you ever have before. You will do more in one month. I mean, we've accomplished quite a lot in these past three months, yeah, both locally and in ministry outside of this local house. For me, one term has gone. Let me, let me encourage you with this. Don't wait for the 31st of December 2015 to suddenly do a review of the year and make resolutions for 2016. Now is all you have. This next term is all you have. Don't wait for the end of the year to do, to do the review. How about a term review? You know, it's easy to review three months than a whole year. You should take stock now. Amen? Tell your neighbor, stock, take time in the spirit. Just ask yourself, what am I being busy with? What have I done? What's the level of my commitment? Can it equate to an apostolic spirit as that which was vested in the Apostle Paul? You know, the apostolic spirit is not a lazy spirit. The apostolic spirit is an intensely fervent spirit intent on accomplishing the will of the Lord. Amen? And so, okay, that was a side road. Let's get to the, let's get to the actual account. I just felt the spirit need to, to, to do that. Amen? I have to be up at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. Had a hectic weekend. But let me just say this. 
There are certain things I have to do. Number one, I have to consult God in prayer. I have to position myself in prayer and pray. And I have to get the day started by developing certain things before the Easter weekend. Hmm? My flesh says, take it easy, have a Monday off like most pastors. But my spirit is saying, there's an urgency with which you need to accomplish and ratify certain kingdom agenda. Amen. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Amen. Yes, Terence. Hallelujah. I want it to be when if a visitor comes to our church, they'll say, my, what a focused bunch of people ardent on accomplishing mandate. What a fervent, zealous, determined group for the purposes of God. They're even willing to die to accomplish His purposes. Amen? Hallelujah? I want to see you walk with a new spring in your step. Amen? Walk with a new spring in your step. Hallelujah. Let's get to the text. Acts 9. Amen? Now Saul, still breathing threats. How this verse starts. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest to ask for letters from him. Notice he goes to ask permission. Can I kill more Christians? Right? I like the, the, the use of the word murder. He breeds threats, this guy. He breeds murders. It's a symbolic a phrase used to indicate it's consumed his life, this objective. Right? And then it says, he went to the high priest to ask for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, those who believed in Christ were called people of the, of the way. You know that both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He responds, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city. It will be told you what you must do. The men tra who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground as though his eyes were opened. He could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor, nor drank. So he literally fasts. For three days, it was a total fast, a so-called dry fast, no water, no food, for 72 hours, three days. And I taught you in the first session, if you embark upon a fast, a dry fast, that is, no liquids, no water, no food. The longest you must go is 72 hours. Don't go beyond that. Don't go beyond three days. 
not drinking food, and not taking water. The typical wet fast would be to take in water only without food. That you can do for up to 40 days. But don't try go beyond three days not having food and water. Scientifically and biologically, it's not even advisable. Both Paul, yeah, I think it was Esther also, um, fasted for three days. Paul fasted for three days without food and without water. Now, you must remember this man's mind is messed up. The Lord has confronted him en route to Damascus, on the Damascus road, literally um, kicked him off his high horse, both literally and figuratively. He saw a bright light, hears a voice, saw, saw. And you know the law of double reference. Whenever the scripture mentions the name of a man twice, like when Jacob was about to kill Isaac, the angel said, Abram, Abram, twice, not once. God is very serious about getting the attention of that man. I hear in the spirit the Lord calling our name twice. Charmaine, Charmaine, Bradley, Bradley, Shan, Shan, Ryan, Ryan, Moira, Moira. Jacques, Jacques, I'm doing this not for emphasis. I'm doing it as a prophetic statement. God in this season is serious about getting your attention. You know, never before have I treated early morning prayer so seriously like I have been doing. And there are times I might be so seriously tired in the morning. But I would get up. I said, God, I'm not going to fob you off. I will adjust even my sleep times. Go to bed that are half an hour early than usual to wake up so I can, I can have time to listen. It's sad to live in a culture where you consistently are totally oblivious to the speaking of the Lord. And usually sometimes God has to allow disaster to enter our lives to get our attention. Again, I say to you by the Spirit of the Lord, do not dismiss the speakings of the Lord when He calls. Last week we read a scripture in the book of Psalms. David said of the Lord, he said to the Lord, Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, thy face, O Lord, I will, I will seek. And I want to encourage you to give God due attention that He so deserves. Now, verse 10. Let's just go through this quickly. Now, verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Lord, here I am. Now, notice the difference between the address of the Lord to Paul, or Saul, and the address of the Lord to Ananias. When God says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? His response is, who are you, Lord? And Ananias' response is what? Yeah, I am Lord. Obviously the one man knew the Lord and the other, the other did, did not. 
I want to encourage you, brethren, to get so familiar with God and the voice of God that even when God speaks, it's not that you fail to discern His speaking such that you might ask, is this you, Lord? Is, are you really speaking to me? But that there will come an immediate recognition within you, an internal knowing that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt This is God speaking to me. And my response is, yeah, my Lord. Speak, for your servant is listening. The greatest skill that we need to develop today is the skill of a listening ear. The capacity to hear God. Amos says, behold, I will send a famine not of bread or of water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. The famine is not the word of the Lord. The famine is the hearing of the word of the Lord. It says, the famine not of bread or of water, but a famine of hearing the word. And this for me is a great concern presently. And you know fasting withholds food from the body and you douse the screams of your flesh to feed it. Symbolically indicating that you are reducing the volume of anything flesh, and you're amplifying the volume of things in the spirit. So he who fasts positions his spirit and the antenna. You know the antenna? is picking up frequencies that he would not have ordinarily would have picked up. Because now you are quietening the flesh. Usually your day should be quieter. There's greater fervent devotion to prayer and to the reading of God's word. And in that culture, God speaks more clearly, more acutely. Who needs to hear more God, to hear God more definitively? Right? My prayer is, God, don't speak in blurs. Don't speak even symbolically. Speak plainly. Tell me what to do. Right? Fine-tune your speaking to me. To the one that does not know the voice, Saul of Tarsus. He doesn't even know the Lord. He doesn't even know God's voice. Who are you, Lord? Here is a certain disciple, like what it says, a certain man, a certain disciple named Ananias, one of the brews, happened to be living in Damascus. He better thank his lucky stars that God saved Paul, because he might have been next on Paul's death threat. God interrupts. So God speaks to this brother, Ananias, now watch how this conversation goes. I'm making a point. Please just follow, follow me in the spirit. He said, yeah, am I Lord. Okay? Yeah, am I Lord. The Lord said to him, get up, go to the street called Straight. There must have been a crooked street as well, somewhere else. This one was very straight. Its name was Straight. Right? So Ananias, I want you to go to a street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, laying his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Now how is that for detail? Go to the street called Straight. Go to the house of Judas. 
There asked for a man, his name is Saul. This Saul is from a city called Tarsus. Okay? By the way, Ananias, before you even get there, I'm going to give this man a vision that somebody by the name of Ananias is about to come to him. Hey? Who wouldn't obey that word from the Lord? Right? So Ananias, listen carefully, initially kicks up a fuss. Verse 13, Ananias answers the Lord, Lord, hang on a second. I have heard how many, from many about this man how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on his name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departs and enters the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, notice, calls him a brother. I like that. Immediately identifies him as part of the family of God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me to you that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. After fasting for? For three days. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And I like this. Everyone say immediately. Paul goes into ministry immediately. It says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. An amazing story, not so? An amazing story. Part of your objective and motivation in fasting has got to be for illumination and fine-tunement of your destiny. Greater light to be cast upon an emphasis that God has called you to embark on personally. As I've said, Saul of Tarsus was misdirected, zealous, but zealously doing the wrong thing. There are some very sincere people, but they are sincerely wrong. Ardent, faithful, diligent, but doing the wrong thing. And I'm going to fast one or two days this coming week before Easter. And part of my motivation would be like the Apostle Paul. Two things. Lord, I want to hear you definitively. I want to hear you with such clarity. 
speak to me. Like you spoke in clear terms, even to Ananias, within the context of studying this fast of Paul. Paul, or rather Saul of Tarsus, who then became Paul the Apostle, receives instruction to go to Damascus, to a particular house at the street called Straight. He's blinded, and here's the thing, listen carefully, everyone just do this for a second, or I'll just close your eyes, close your eyes, so you can't see anybody in the building, right? Okay, open your eyes. You know, if for whatever reason, if the Lord had to give me options about which infirmity I would, must suffer, it would definitely not be blindness. I would opt for something else, not my sight. It's very important. But you know what Paul, what God was doing to Saul of Tarsus? God was blinding him so that he can shut his eye to the natural environment and open his eyes to everything spirit. Right? Shutting the eyes to being informed by a Pharisaic, an inaccurate Pharisaic order that conditions his mind and to be opened up to the influence and conditioning by the Spirit of the Lord in the heavens. Many of us have diluted mindsets because we have been influenced by wrong thinking by a postmodernistic secular society. Even in reference to what we think the, the, the character and the flavor of our lives should be in reference to doing God's purposes attendant with our lives. I really believe, you see, even I have a view of how this ministry should run. I have a view in the next few months of how things will unfold and develop. But you know what I need to do in the spirit? I need to shut my eye to any natural earthly influence that will govern my thinking that will make me come to conclusions about what God's will is. I sense very, very strongly, eyes need to be shut for a season. Eyes need to be closed to influence, to taking your cue from, from the earthly system that governs you as a man, but to open up to the realms of the, of the Spirit. Do you know, and I'm going to do this together, Peter also fasted, not so? Um, where is it? Acts? Yes. It's in the next chapter, Acts 10. Maybe we should do these two fasts together. I won't read the text. Let me tell you the story because of time. Cornelius was a devout man. He was a centurion, which means at least, in charge of at least a hundred Roman soldiers. So he has a man of influence. The Bible calls him devout. He feared God. And the Bible also said he gave much alms to the Jews. He has, and the Bible says at the ninth hour, he was in prayer. Everyone say the ninth hour. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon. He was there, he had an hour of prayer and he was praying before the Lord. And the Bible says, if you read the entire account, he was fasting for four days. In a four-day fast, and this man is praying unto the Lord. You must know he's outside of the commonwealth of Israel. All we know about this man, he loves God, he's God-fearing, 
And when he sees the Jews, unlike the other Romans that oppressed the Jews, this man finds compassion. And in fact, he, he does several charitable works of giving finances to God's people. Right? And, he, and he's in prayer and fasting before the, before the Lord. And he has a vision to send some of his servants to a particular house, Simon the Tanner, I think, to a particular house, just send them there and ask for one whose name is Peter. Right? So he wakes up from the vision and instructs his servant, go to that house. Now here's the deal. The Bible says, as they're coming on their way to about to enter the city where Peter is, that they should meet. The Bible says, at that selfsame hour, Peter is on a rooftop and would have eaten, but preparations were taking too long for him, so he decides to sit, and in the mode of prayer, he falls into a trance. And in the trance, he sees a vision of unclean animals. The word of the Lord comes to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. He rebels. Now, why does Peter rebel? Because the animals that he is to kill and eat were non-kosher by Jewish standards. Right? Pigs and other animals he saw. And creeping things. So, there was the word of the Lord. Yes, listen carefully. The instruction of the Lord presented to him that something in his natural sight, his natural worldview opposed. There was a struggle in his thinking. Must I obey the word of the Lord? And must I discount everything that my natural sight, my earthly learning, my earthly knowledge of Jewish dietary laws, that dimension that I know? God then repeats the vision three times because Peter refused. And God said to him after the third time, How dare you call unclean that which I have sanctified as? Clean, right? The Bible says he awoke from the vision. As he awoke, the Bible says he was perplexed about what he had seen. Now bear in mind, the Bible doesn't say he's fasting. All the Bible says he didn't eat or drink because they were taking too long with the preparations. Right? I wouldn't love to have been in that kitchen. Right? Otherwise I fall into a trance and God starts speaking to me. Right? And what the, the scripture says, so he's worried, what on earth has just happened to me? I like the next verse. It says, while Peter earnestly thought on the vision, de enthumiomai is the Greek word. What does he do? He meditates. He re- literally means to revolve it over and over in the mind. Listen carefully. Whenever God instructs you to do something that does not feel comfortable and maybe everything in your physical world your natural mind fights against that always take the time to meditate before making a decision God by his grace will bring confirmation or otherwise to you he will do that so while Peter thought everyone say while Peter thought it says, while Peter thought, the enthumiumai earnestly revolved over and over in his mind. It says, the Holy Ghost said to him, 
So the voice of the Holy Spirit is amplified to the mind that meditates. To the mind unemployed, the Spirit doesn't speak. But to the mind deeply revolving it over and over in the mind, you create a context for God to speak to you. While he thought on the vision, the Spirit said, Peter, get downstairs. Behold, there are men seeking you. Who are those men? The men from Cornelius' household are on their way. God synchronizes Ananias' prayer and fasting with Peter's so-called fasting and prayer and seeing this vision in somebody's household and he connects two strategic people to bring uh, a new phase to bring, uh, you know, for, for, for Cornelius, it's a new phase of God's dealings with him. All Cornelius knows is, I love Jehovah. I love the God of the Jews. I love the Jews themselves. I fear God. I give finances to them regularly. And when God saw that, you know what God first said to Cornelius? Cornelius, your prayers and your almsgiving have done what? They have come up before me as a memorial. What do memorials do? Naturally in the earth. They keep us in remembrance of an event or a person. Not so. Do you know how powerful and strong Cornelius' prayer and fasting was? And his giving. God said to him, You, whenever you give, whenever you pray, whenever you fast, Cornelius, there's a memorial established before me in the heavens. Even if I wanted to, God is saying, I can't ignore you. There's something that reminds me about your life and my will for your life. It's ever before me. And I want to encourage us, church. The Bible says our prayers in Revelations rise like, like incense. While praying in this week, did you enjoy early morning prayer this week? It was so tremendous. Um, Renee and I had such powerful times of prayer alone in the room. And we prayed aloud in the room. One night, Ray slept with us. And we were praying aloud. And when the time came to pray for the kids, I prayed and I, I rubbed her back while praying. She was fast. She was almost snoring. Fast asleep. And I'm praying and I'm rubbing her back. Yes, thank you for my daughter and every other child, every other female. And I'm praying and praying. And afterwards, uh, we're getting them ready for, 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 for school. Taking, and we, we say to her, hey, did you hear us? This morning, I hope we didn't wake you. He says, yeah, I heard everything. <laughs> she heard the content of the, of the prayer. But I really want to encourage you, don't think that your prayers are wastage of time. You are sending memorials up to God. Incense is rising up to the throne. And God will surely act. You know, God instituted a set of um, movements for Cornelius. God, God's, Cornelius' heart, his prayer, his fasting, so moved God. God was willing to challenge the mind of an apostle, Peter, and use him strategically to come to his house to upgrade Cornelius and his whole house into the current dealings of God. Amen? I want to encourage you. 
think of this next time you fast. And perhaps let this be an objective too for your fasting. Lord, upgrade me. Lord, take me to the next level. Make me more relevant and current. I'm praying this prayer even for our own emphases now. I'm realizing God is raising up not only to pastor this local household, but now these fast developing whole churches looking for guidance. And I say, God, give me more skill in the spirit. Um, grace me with greater grace so that we can confidently manage the things that you have called us to do. You must know, when Cornelius is converted, his whole household is converted too. But not just the whole household. This is the leader of an Italian band, the Bible says. Right? He's the leader of the Italian band. Uh, one of the years ago, one of my Sunday school boys says, Oh, what kind of music that do they play? <laughs> Not the Italian band. The Italian band was, the word band is simply a descriptive term for a sector of the army. This, this guy was a centurion of the Italian band. Okay? Imagine when he came. You know when Peter came there? Peter shared Christ. And even while he was sharing, the Holy Spirit fell on them. They were all baptized in the Spirit. And they were baptized in water. A whole household had upgrade. Now, you all, most of you are baptized in the Spirit here. Most of you are baptized in water. But I'm using this symbolically. I know there's something more than what you currently know. I know there's something more in God than what you're currently experiencing. Not so, church. I know that there's another level you sense. I know that there's dissatisfaction in your heart that you sense there's something more to this. There's something that we need to penetrate. Do you feel like that? And I want to encourage you in your fasting. Fasting prepares the context for spiritual upgrade. It prepares your heart and mind to be upgraded to the most current dealings of God with your world. I'm expecting major upgrade for my life, for my family, for the purposes of God, even within this, this fellowship. And I pray that this will become a burden even for your own heart. And maybe you do need, like Paul, to become blind to some things that have a predominant influence upon your thinking now. Sometimes it's good to say, God, blind me. Okay, not physically, but spiritually, blind me in a sense to things in the natural order of life that seek to influence my thinking about things. Father, for the next three days or whichever, I open myself to major influence by your Spirit. Even like Peter, even if what you have to call me to do will confront certain set thinking in my mind. But Lord, I know that you will be faithful to confirm the rightness of the thing that I need to do. You need to pray this prayer, Lord, even if what you called me to do causes me to have great courage because I need to go against everything I'm feeling naturally, but I know it's you. Because let me tell you, it must have been hard for Peter to obey. But he obeyed nevertheless. You know why he obeyed? Let me prophesy over you. Because he had the vision. Right? And the Spirit gave clarity and said, Behold, men are downstairs looking for you. When those men came to him, they reported to P. 
Peter the vision that Cornelius had. So what does Peter have now? Confirmation that this thing that I fought so, so hard in my vision is actually being confirmed by the, by the Lord. Amen? So I pray that you will not let the flesh win in the battle of your mind. But that the Holy Ghost will give you a confirming act. God is moving things and moving people. And confirmations or disconfirmations will come your way. The blessing of the Lord will overtake you. Paul prayed and fasted for Saul for three days. And Ananias is sent to him. Not only does he receive sight in the natural, but he receives illumination. Everyone say illumination. There's clarity and light upon his destiny. The first thing Ananias says to him, Brother Saul, engrafting Saul into the family of the church. There's an identification of one brother to a, another brother. Brother Saul, the Lord that you have persecuted has sent me. And you know what God said to Ananias? Go and tell Saul how many things he must Suffer for my name's sake, and he must bear my name before the Gentiles. He must bear my name before the Gentiles. Paul would become an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was an apostle to the, to the Jews. Paul's destiny was clarified by Ananias' prophetic utterance. Things were made plain. He knew exactly what he's calling was as an apostle. right? He was not left blind in the spirit about those issues. Paul was given clarity also about the degree to which he would have to suffer for the name. Listen to me carefully, brethren. All of these realities emitted out from the man's three-day fast. God, in a time of fasting, will even show you the things you must suffer. For his name's sake. Right? And let me just say this. I had this terrible dream. I didn't even tell Sean or Justin or anybody. On Friday evening at Port Alfred. It's a recurrent dream that I have from time to time. It's almost the same. It's almost identical. But I won't give you the, the graphic details of it. But it relates to um, an attack on our house. On my house... The, the focus of the dream was my personal family with uh, guns blazing, men trying to gain entrance into the house, etc. And you know, I've had this recurrent dream for a while. And um, this time, however, there was some light. There was some hope. Because I was like a SWAT, highly trained, skilled officer in the dream now. Where before I was somewhat fearful and protective of family, and they seemed to have gained the upper hand. For the first time, I was like bold, daring, ducking and diving bullets, yes. But I possessed a skill of combat in battle to the point, at one point, I confronted a man in the dream, taking his gun, that he's shooting at me, ducking and diving bullets, but taking his gun away and shooting him. Don't play with me. <laughs> And you know what? And um, when the battle wore off, I ran out of the yard. And this dream is recurrent, but this time 
I go out and there's always this massive black mamba waiting for me. And I know snakes allude to something of a satanic attack. And for the first time in this dream, now, I go there and where before I'll be resistant to confront, just at my presence, this thing slithers away very fast and to my surprise, I chase after it in the dream. And when I got up, I thought this applied to word of truth, ministry, that we're busy with there. And I'm thinking, but there's no major warfare yet. It was relatively easy. I'm thinking there's no major hassle. There's no, the people are open. There's great receptivity of the word. The things are being built. I can sense God's purposes being, uh, being accomplished. And the Lord was saying to me symbolically that the attack you once knew, you are now skilled to handle. You know? And we've been very prayerful and in great fasting this week. Right? And the Lord alluded to me that the attack will not relent, but that you will be empowered to deal with it. In a position now of far greater confidence and skill than you've ever had before. Now I want to encourage you, brethren, do not discount spiritual dreams. God speaks primarily through His Word. Not so? And very often... God can speak through a spiritual dream. And you must discern between a spiritual dream and a natural dream. Part of the outflowing of the Holy Ghost. In Acts 2 it says, It will come upon in the last day, saith the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. That does not mean I'm an old man. Young men see visions, old men see dream, dream, dreams. Sons and daughters prophesy. All I want to make the statement or the principle is this. The prophetic, the, the capacity to prophesy. The capacity to see visions. Like Peter saw a valid vision in a time of a fast. The capacity to, to dream. Dreams and visions are valid modes of God speaking. And usually when, if the Lord chooses... In your time of fasting, you can either confirm or disconfirm things and speak to you in clear terms through dreams and, and visions. It is clearly modeled for us in Acts chapter 10, where both Cornelius and Peter has this vision. I want to encourage you, you are more spirit than flesh. And the spirit realm, and spirit life must be administrated with great maturity. We are not spooky Christians. You get some spooky Christians, right? They have visions and dreams for every little thing, right? No, we're not. We are thoroughly word-centered and word-based. But do not discount the occasions when for certain strategic developments in your life, from my personal experience, God will either confirm or disconfirm things by giving you very significant visions or very significant dreams. Amen? So don't discount these things. For Paul, there was fine-tunement to the will of God for his life. There was the clarity of his apostolic call for his, um, in terms of God's destiny for his life. For Peter... God solidly 
confirmed. You know what Peter said when he got to Cornelius' house? He said, it is not normal. Read it. He said, it is not normal for a Jew to come to a house such as this. You know what? And he said, when, especially when the Holy Ghost fell on them, what did Peter say? He said, of a truth, I can testify that God is indeed not a respecter of persons. Because the mindset of the Jews was that salvation was only for the Jews. Now that salvation visits Italians, Peter is awoken to the fact that the Gentiles have a strategic part in the salvation plan. In other words, you know, I like your hairstyle, but listen carefully. I don't want to mess it up, right? What does God bring to Peter? God's correcting his mindset. God's correcting his mindset. Right? And let me just say this. I perceive, I, I want to encourage you as you fast also, God will reorientate your thinking about what is right, legitimate, or wrong and illegitimate. Some of you, listen carefully, some of you might be um, holding yourself away. You're keeping yourself at a distance from engaging in a certain way, either with people or with some administration of God's will. Because you deem it, you deem it unacceptable. Like Peter deemed eating pork unacceptable. Or ministering to Gentiles unacceptable. God had to alter a, a mindset. You know, I like the word mindset. It means the mind is set. It's like, you know, you stand, you pour concrete, and you stand in it, and if you stand in it long enough, guess what? You'll be set. But not set for life. <laughs> You'll be set. So mindset is a firmly entrenched ideology, manner of thinking, viewpoint that you adopt. And sometimes to alter your viewpoints, God will have to boldly confront your position on a particular thing. You know, I'm right now where I'm saying to God, Lord, I want to be nimble-minded, nimble-minded. I want to hold my position lightly in the mind so that if at any point you want to turn it this way or that way, there will not be a rebellion in my mind to fight the things that you're leading me to do. Amen? And in a season of fasting, it is always, what does fasting do? Does not fasting humble the soul? Not so? We taught you this. What is the soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. Your mind is part of your soul. And in fasting, what you're literally doing, you're humbling your mindset to say, God, I prefer your view, your mind about this issue. Some of you have written some people off. Peter wrote the Gentiles off. Only us, not them. I feel very strongly tonight. God wants you to see the possibility of redemption in someone that you have, you have, you have set in your mind that is past redemption. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. I want to, I want to encourage you. There's nothing too difficult for God to do. You know the grace of the evangelist. Sam Solon said this at the school. He said, the evangelist comes to impart grace, to show us that how even in the most depraved and wicked soul, there is still the hope of redemption. The evangelist loves the lost. 
The evangelist will see with the eyes of the power of redemption to somebody. And I want to encourage you. Do not give up praying for your families. Do not construe them as Gentiles unclean in your mind. As you pray and fast for them, say this, Lord, I am trusting you, God. You invaded Peter's life, used him to come to Cornelius' house to upgrade a whole family. Lord, I'm asking you as you pray, orchestrate certain movements, even of men or key men that will come into my world to upgrade me personally, to activate my, my, my place, uh, my, my movement to a greater, to a place of more accurate, accuracy in the Spirit before you. I want to encourage you, these things will happen. Some of you are about to experience, and I speak prophetically, an immediate change of an emphasis. You know when Saul and Ananias spoke to him, what does the Scripture say? And when? Three days later? No. Bible says, and immediately. He, you know, Paul, he goes. He says, I can't wait one more day. I know he, this Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And you know what? He boldly refutes Jews. He boldly confronts them, proving that Jesus was the, the Christ. They look at him and say, hey, hang on. Is this not the same guy who just a moment ago came with letters from the chief priests with breathing murders and threats to everybody. Can you see that in a day, an emphasis changed? In a moment, zeal, which was always there, was just redirected to do the thing that God wanted. I'm telling you, everyone say zeal. Come on, say it like you got zeal. Say zeal. (laughs) I want to encourage you, brethren. I am praying Part of the subject of my morning prayer tomorrow is, Lord, take this energy, take this passion, take this diligence, and redirect it so acutely to do something more definitively than I ever have before in reference to your will. I know we have some degree of success to a degree, to a point. Yes, we do, Father. But Lord, I want you to take all my personal efforts and our corporate efforts. Find home them so much in the Spirit that we would be hitting bullseye every time we do something. Amen? Is that your cry? Come on, church. Is that your desire? It should be. Otherwise, you mop the floor through life like this. Laissez-faire. Doing a lot of things, accomplishing nothing. God is calling us to a day of definitive action. Amen? It's time for bullseye in the spirit. Amen? And I pray that every single one of us would leave this place tonight saying, God, here's my life. Use me for your purposes. Right? Fine-tune my activity. Break my mentality if you have to. Because I'm not entering things some of us are not even entering certain levels of commitment because of a mindset that needs to break. Amen? Adjust. Everyone say adjustment. Adjustment. You know what? If Peter rebelled against God, he would have foregone a great opportunity to be used as an apostle of Christ to usher in 
the first group of Gentiles into the kingdom in the book of Acts. This was a momentous thing. By the way, do you know in Acts 15, when the issue of the circumcision came up before the council at Jerusalem, remember? They were contending over, should the Gentiles be circumcised, like the Jews are circumcised, to make their salvation valid. Remember that incident? Peter was one of the first ones to stand up there. James, the apostle, was presiding over the council. Paul was present. Barnabas was present. Certain men, elders and brethren, the Bible says, was present. This was a council to decide doctrine. Should we insist that all Gentiles be circumcised or not? What is our position on this matter? So James is presiding. Then the Bible says, Peter stood up and he relayed the account of how he went to a Gentile house, Cornelius. And he says, Peter boldly says, and the Holy Ghost fell on them just like he fell on us at the beginning. Peter's testimony was used to cement the view of the apostles that the Gentiles do not have to be circumcised because their salvation is just as legitimate as the Jews were. Amen? And some of you are going to be entering experiences that God is going to use to both corroborate and endorse His future activities. I really want to encourage you. Enlist your life. Say, God, here's my life. I want to use it its entirety. The entirety of all my experiences. Even to one day convince those that will argue a particular matter. But when they look at the testimony and the fruit of my life, they will more readily and more easily agree to something even doctrinally because my life would have testified about that already. Life experience can be used as a testimony to consolidate, confirm a doctrinal position. And that is our preserve in the Lord. It's a thing that God has given to us. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among, among men. Amen? So I want to encourage you. Learn from Saul's fast. Clarity came. Illumination. Hearing the word of the Lord. Who are you, Lord? But now he learns the voice of the Lord and becomes a mighty apostle by the hand of the Lord. Learn how from Peter you can allow God to change a firmly endorsed point of view that God needs to alter. For God needs to use you in some domain as a mighty tool in his hand. Learn from Cornelius, this man who fasts for three days, being a man mighty in works, mighty in prayer, mighty in charitable deeds also. But his prayer and fasting positioned him for God to catapult him and to migrate him to a place of greater accuracy in the kingdom. He was upgraded. And I think, the Bible is very silent about this, but I think he became too a mighty instrument in the hand of God. For he was a man of great governance and influence. Right? I'm sure you went to those hundred men the next day that he leads to testify of the things. You know what? We've been talking at dialogues every Wednesday morning the past few weeks on the kingdom. And last week, we were saying God is going to save some strategic men, some key people. 
that have influence over vast domains. We must trust God for those salvation, for God to bring in key people that will change their world forever before the Lord. For the Lord. Amen? So I want to encourage you. I say this to you as a prophetic statement, and this is going to be our reality. We need some Corneliuses in the kingdom. We need some key persons coming in that will be able to sway the domains over which they rule. Amen? And this will be our portion in God. Would you lift up your hands to the Lord? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you've called us to be a church of deep prayer and fasting before you. Help us to be blind to the things of this world. Help us not to take our cue from things that we see. Blind us to the natural order, but open up our eyes to the spiritual reality. I pray eyes be opened. Saul, who was blinded to things spiritual. Father, you, you blinded him to things natural, so his eyes to things spiritual can open. I pray, help us to see more clearly in the Spirit. Help us to close our eyes to influences, mindsets that seek to taint our perspective of things in the Spirit. We ask even as we fast, as we subject our flesh, as we withhold food from the craving of the body, that the appetite of the Spirit will be amplified, Father. Father, we will see things like never before. Remove the blur. You spoke to Ananias in very clear terms. Speak to us clearly and plainly. Make the path clear. Like you upgraded Cornelius, Father, I pray that many of us feel the sense of dissatisfaction with where we are, and that, Father, you will move us to a place of greater accuracy in you. Move people. Speak to people, even in other cities. Orchestrate movements, policies, events, circumstances. Do whatever you have to do, Father. Like you even sent servants to another city to contact Peter to get him to Cornelius' house. Father, I pray, do something drastic even if you have to, to cause us to come to a place of greater accuracy in you. Father, I pray that you would save Cornelius-type persons. We ask for the salvation of key influential people. I pray, O oh God, that significant people would come into the kingdom in this season. Come on, let's pray, church. Let's pray about this issue. Father, we pray that you'd move the hearts even of, of CEOs, of presidents, of principals, of governors, of politicians, of prime ministers, of presidents. Save these people. Save them, Father, that they might move whole hosts of others under their domain, into the kingdom. We ask this sincerely, dear Father. And I thank you that with our eyes, we will even see the fruit of this as they would come into the house. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.